Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies. Happy Earth Core Day. Most people call it Earth Day, but we know. We know. We are so close to sending the gangster to the printer. Get that hardcover goodness all printed and bound and cut up and lovely. Finally, it is almost done. We have the galleon, and we are doing a last spot check of some layout and grammatical issues, and then we will be good to go. Because of the COVID backup at the printer, we don't know when the book will actually print, but we will keep you informed. The best way, of course, to get that mission critical news is to sign up for the newsletter over at scottsigler.com slash newsletter, or follow me on social media at facebook.com slash scottsigler, at scottsigler on Twitter, at scottsigler on Instagram. Hey, are you in Europe? or Australia? If so, make sure you are following me on Facebook over at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, because I'm doing short little morning um, live stream chats when I take my two pups out for a walk. I have a very original title for it. You guys ready? Coffee and Pup Walks with the FDO. I know, groundbreaking, shattering, but we were told by many peeps that uh, they're asleep by the time we do the other live streams. We usually do those at, at night Pacific time. So we want to make sure we have a chance to say hi to the worldwide fans. So those happen around 7 a.m. Pacific time. Adjust your time zone accordingly. And if you're, if you're in North America, please feel free to watch as well, obviously. Whew. All right. Things are about to go very, very badly for one Mr. Quentin Barnes. So let's get you caught up on the story, and then we are going to throw down. Previously on The Gangster, Kretorakian soldiers boarded the Hypatia and took Quentin into custody. With no lawyer and no representation of any kind offered to Quentin, where are the bats taking him? Find out next on The Gangster, episode number 21. Book Four Lockup The Journey The shuttle flew Quentin to the Hammerwind. A corvette, apparently, was a warship, five times the size of the Hypatia, but much smaller than the Victory or the Destroyer that had helped stop Quentin's dash for freedom. The bats led him out of the shuttle at gunpoint. On the Hammerwind's flight deck waited a human man and a human woman both wearing gray Kretorakian Empire military uniforms. The two originated from the League of Planets, most likely. The man had black-striped orange skin, patterned like a tiger, while the woman had white, feathered wings extending from her back. 
The wings were too small to be anything but decorative, but they seemed to be living tissue, as much a part of her as her hands and feet were. The two humans' facial features and bodies were absolute perfection, the best looks science could create. The man held a thick set of wrist restraints, like two pipes angled together. The woman held a thin helmet with a clear visor. Do not resist, Tiger Stripe said. It will go badly for you if you do. Slowly slide your hands through these. He held out the restraints. They gleamed like a pair of stubby cannon barrels fused together. If Quentin was going to fight, it had to be now, before they put those things on him. But what could he do? There were a dozen armed Kretorakians hovering close by. He slid his hands through the restraints. Tiger Stripe pressed a button. The restraints clinched firmly around Quentin's forearms. They were heavy. He had never felt so alone. I'm putting this helmet on you, Angel Wing said. Keep your head still. He stood quietly while the winged woman put the helmet on his head. For a moment, he could see out of the visor just fine. Then she pressed a button on the helmet. Quentin saw nothing but static. We're going to sit you on a cart, Tiger Stripe said. You keep cooperating with us, and this will go fine. Quentin heard the hum of an electric cart. They guided him to it, had him sit. Maybe they didn't want him seeing the inside of a warship. He didn't know. The ride lasted several minutes. You'll stand and walk with me, Angel Wing said. We're going through a hatch that's a little low for someone your size. I'll guide you. Watch your step. She put her hand on his shoulder. The pressure from that hand told him to duck down. He felt ahead with his toe, found the hatch lip, stepped over it. She patted his shoulder. You can stand again, this way. He shoveled along, feeling awkward, feeling helpless, feeling afraid. What would come next? He heard the hiss of a sliding door, then a beep, and the pressure of the restraints eased. Take those off, Tiger Stripe said. Then your helmet. Quentin did as he was told. He found himself in a small room, three walls of smooth white metal and one of clear crystal. A cot that was too small for him, a toilet and a sink, all made of metal, not a hard edge to be found anywhere. Tiger Stripe and Angel Wings stood on the other side of the crystal. A small section of white wall hissed upward, revealing a space beyond. Put the helmet and the restraints in there, Tiger Stripe said. Quentin did so. When he stepped back, the section of wall hissed closed. Angel Wings gestured to the cot. You might as well settle in, she said. You'll be with us for the next few days, until we reach our destination. And that destination is? Tiger Stripe smiled. You'll know when you get there. You don't cause us any problems, and things will go fine. You get too loud, bang on the walls, that kind of thing, you'll find out this room is electrified. The two humans left. Quentin was alone. He realized he was on a smaller ship, which had been docked with the Hammerwind. Now this smaller ship was taking him away. Quentin longed for Becca's warmth, for the sense of deep security that came when he put his head on her shoulder or she put hers on his, the way all the badness of the universe faded out when he held her close. He lifted his palm up. It didn't activate. The ship was jamming it, probably. 
Quentin could do nothing but wait. Days passed. Every morning, afternoon, and evening, as best as he could tell, with no palm up or any way to gauge the passage of time, a tray of food slid in through a slot in the crisp steel wall. He ate everything given to him. When done, he had to slide the tray back through the wall slot or they wouldn't give him more at the next mealtime. The ship punched in and out with no warning. When it did, reality devolved into a shimmer and whatever meal Quentin had in his gut came up. Sometimes he made it to the toilet, sometimes not. He'd never thought there would come a day when he would miss his golden puke bucket. When he threw up on the floor, tiger stripe or angel wings slid towels through the slot. Quentin cleaned up as best he could, slid the soiled towels back out again. His cell smelled of vomit. No one came to ask him questions. No one came at all. Shortly after the fourth punch, Tiger Stripe and Angel Wings stood in front of his cell, six black armored bats fluttering in the air around them. The bats held entropic rifles. The section of cell wall hissed up. The restraints and helmet were inside the space. Put them on, Tiger Stripe said. We've arrived. Arrived where? Quentin's gaze flicked to the Kretorakians. I've got rights, you know. Angel Wings shook her head. You lost those when you broke the law. What law? I didn't do anything. Come on, it's been days since I bathed. I smell like barf. Where are you taking me? Tiger Stripe nodded toward the restraints. Put those on, or the guards will stun you and we'll put them on you, he said. You're wearing them either way. Quentin weighed his options, wishing he'd fought when he'd been back on the Hypatia, or even the Hammerwind. If he could take out all six fluttering bats, which was very unlikely, he had no idea where he was. Where was he going to go? He put the restraints on. With a beep, they cinched down on his wrists. I'm coming in, Angel Wing said. Be smart and don't try anything. The crystal cell door opened. Angel Wings came in, took the helmet, and slid it on Quentin's head. She pressed the button on the helmet, and the world went blank. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. 
One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. So many lies. The first lash of electricity seemed to throw him backward in time. He was 19 again, at the GFL Combine, wrists and ankles clamped by shackles, a flood of Kretorakians shouting questions as they blasted him again and again with high voltage. They wanted to know if he had mods, if he had connections to terrorist organizations. A confusing, agonizing test that determined whether he could join the upper tiers or if he would forever wallow in Tier 3. The second lash ripped him back to the present. Of course this reminded him of the Combine. He was once again shackled to a metal rack in the shape of a large X, electricity coursing through him. Every muscle fiber in his body contracted, every nerve screamed. The blast held him in its grip, paralyzed him completely. The flow stopped. His body sagged. How many members are there in the Church of Quentin Barnes? Quentin's head hung low. Just two jolts, and he was already exhausted. He slowly looked up, stared out from under his eyebrows at the silver-suited Kretorakian perched on a post a few feet away. This one called itself Boss 15, The bat's six eyes stared back at him. I don't know. I told you. I got nothing to do with this church. Lies bring pain, the Kratorakian said. And those words instantly came true as a third blast made flesh and bone vibrate with agony. The third lasted longer than the second, which had lasted longer than the first. Quentin's jaw clenched tight, his face screwed into a rictus of pain. The electricity stopped. His body slumped forward. He hung there, exhausted arms angled behind him, as if he were flash-frozen in a clumsy dive into the key baths on the touchback. Oh, to be there now, with Budo Shwek and Kilo Yoet and Becca. How many members in the Church of Quentin Barnes? He didn't have the answer. Lies brought pain. So did ignorance. Why were they doing this to him? I told you, I don't know! Boss 15's leathery wings ruffled once, then settled back down against the silver bodysuit. We have information contrary to your claims. We have learned that the three main branches are not actually separate and independent organizations. There was no schism. Quentin felt the wave of fear, almost as powerful as the electric shocks themselves. But they did split! he said, conscious of the wavering desperation in his words. Yolanda Davenport broke the story! A story that you undoubtedly helped perpetrate in order to circumvent Kretorakian law. You control all sects. Quentin's skin tingled. His breath came faster. He felt pure panic coming on, fought to control it, to keep it at bay. 
The CMR knew about that meeting. They thought he was in charge of the churches. He had no connection to any of the sects, but Boss 15 was right. Quentin had created the schism story. How had the bats found out? Only a handful of sentients knew the truth. Quentin, Richfield, Hoyt Bogard, Who Love Q, and Rob Frost. And, and Massal the Efficient. Massal had set up the meeting on Ionath, an event so secret that not even Becca, Fred, or Chodo knew about it. Massal had quietly arranged for Richfield and the others to attend. Quentin had made sure there was no record of the meeting, no witnesses that might blab about it, no electronic trail even hinting at it. The face-to-face discussion had taken not even an hour, and all had left promising to keep the story secret forever. When Quentin had asked for Massal's help in making a move against Greedock, the worker had been so angry. Could Massal have ratted Quentin out to the CMR to stop him from trying to use the Gibblejuance on Greedock? Or, oh no, 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 no. Had Massal told Greedock about the meeting on Ionath? It's a lie, Quentin said. Whoever told you is lying. Whatever they told you is a lie. I have zero involvement with those churches. Do you deny you had a covert meeting with the sentients who became the leaders of the Church of Quentin Barnes, the Orthodox Barnesian Separatists, and the Reformed House of Quentinism, the three largest denominations of those who worship you? Panic crept higher. Should he lie? What did the bats really know? Maybe it hadn't been Massal. Maybe the CMR had been investigating him all along. Maybe they'd found out from somewhere else. What if the bats had first arrested one of the heads of those three churches, made that sentient confess to the meeting and the false schism? If Quentin lied now and was found out, would any truthful answers he might give later have any credibility at all? A blast of electricity froze him, then stopped. Quit it! You shucking bats! Just quit it! You are lying, Boss 15 said. You secretly met with the heads of the three largest denominations dedicated to you. We know this because we have sworn testimony about it from Greedock the Splithead. Quentin went cold. Numb. Massal had told Greedock about the meeting. The worker had sold him out. And in doing so, giving Greedock the ability to have Quentin put away. Did you or did you not meet with the heads of the three churches? It didn't make any sense. Greedock was working with Fred to find out who was behind the New York City attack. Or was that yet another ploy by Greedock to get Quentin to lower his guard? Did you or did you not meet with the heads of three churches? Yes, Quentin said. I mean, no, I don't deny it, but they told me the church was splitting up. I wanted nothing to do with the church Quentin Barnes, and I still don't. How many members in the church of Quentin Barnes? Quentin hung there, frozen in futility, wrists and ankles bound tight, knowing nothing he could say would stop any of this, knowing that Greedock had won. I don't know how many members there are. Agony again coursed up and down his body, made him jerk and thrash. He had no idea how long the blast lasted, but when it finally stopped, the pain didn't just go away. It ebbed, like a tuning fork's vibration slowly fading to nothing. A sharp stinging in his mouth. His tongue probed the spot, found a small space where there should have been none. 
He lifted his head, spit his broken front tooth at the Kretorakian. The chip of jagged white enamel hit along with a glob of blood, surprising the bat, making it flap off its post. You have assaulted an Imperial officer! Quentin laughed, and even that hurt. <laughs> Always that tooth. You cheap bastards. Could have at least given me a mouth guard! The Kretorakian flapped back to its post settled on it, but kept its leathery wings half unfurled, as if Quentin might belch forth a breath of pure fire. Your answers are unsatisfactory, Boss 15 said. We will continue to increase the durations until you talk. Quentin spit out another glob of blood. He tried to hit the bat with it, but missed. The glob splatted on the floor, wet red against black metal. Well, I guess we're in for a long night, because I don't know crap. Boss 15 flapped its wings once, twice, then furled them tightly. Our instruments tell us when you are lying. Tell the truth. What knowledge do Rob Frost and Yolanda Davenport have of your duplicity? Quentin closed his eyes, tried to think. Of course they would be implicated in this. Yolanda had no idea the schism was false. She'd simply reported the story that Quentin had given to her. Frost, though, did know. He'd had little to do with it, but he'd provided the backstory Quentin needed to make it look like the schism had happened on its own. And Greedock hated Frost almost as much as he hated Quentin. Frost had done little more than create some false flight records and given Yolanda a couple of quotes, but even those small things now meant the commissioner's career was at risk. Maybe even his life. No matter what happened, Quentin could not reveal the man's involvement. The bats could detect lies? Maybe the restraints track physical cues like respiration and heart rate, but with the shocks, those measurements would be all over the place. Quentin had to protect Frost. They don't know anything. How could they, when this is all a bunch of lies? How many members in the Church of Quentin Barnes? You will answer now, or you'll receive the longest shock yet. Quentin closed his eyes. He took a moment to clench his teeth, careful that his tongue was pressed against the roof of his mouth. Maybe he could concentrate on that one thing, on not breaking any more teeth, on not biting off his own tongue. He shook his head. The electricity ripped through him. He managed to keep his jaw clenched tight for five seconds, maybe six, before his mouth opened and he began to scream. Article from the Ionath City Gazette. Headline, Quentin Barnes, Abducted by Kretorakians. Ionath City, Ionath, with Concordia. Ionath Kraken's quarterback Quentin Barnes was in Earth orbit when his yacht was boarded by Kretorakian military from the warship Hammerwind. Barnes was the only sentient removed from the yacht. The incident happened five days ago, GCT, six days ago, Ionath time, according to Rebecca Montaigne, wife and teammate of Barnes, who was aboard the yacht. Quote, Quentin was abducted at gunpoint, said Montaigne in a recorded message sent to the Gazette. They claimed he was in violation of the Religious Organizations Act. He had no legal representation. We have not heard from him since and have no word from the government as to his location or his health. End quote. 
Initial information requests sent to the Kretorakian Empire went unanswered, as did requests sent to the Kretorakian Ministry of Religion, the CMR, the imperial division that manages religious concerns. Chalton the Moral, Lord Governor of the Quith Concordia, held a press conference regarding the situation and issued a rare rebuke of imperial policy. Quote, Quentin Barnes is a Concordian and is due all rights granted to citizens of the Concordia, the Moral said. I demand full accountability from the Empire regarding this arrest. End quote. Five months ago, Kraken's backup, Yitzhak Goldman, was arrested for illegal mods. His whereabouts are unknown although imperial spokesbeings say he is being held at a detainment facility in Kretorakian territory. Goldman, also a full citizen of the Concordia, is an extremely popular figure on Ionath, and his arrest and detainment spurred large protests in Ionath City. Ionath City authorities, who wish to remain anonymous, stated they fear this second arrest of a popular gridiron player could exacerbate those protests. The Gazette contacted the Ionath Kraken's front office for more information on the arrest of Barnes. Quote, We have no knowledge of this incident, said Massal the Efficient, the official media representative of the Krakens. While we do not doubt Miss Montaigne's claims, we have received no contact from the Kretorakian Ministry of Religion or the Empire Bureau of Species Interaction. Our own efforts to contact Barnes have gone unanswered. End quote. Barnes was the presumed target of a recent violent incident at Randall Hospital, New York City, Earth. Three armed assailants attacked the facility, presumably in an assassination attempt on Barnes. All three assailants died during the attack. Barnes was also injured during a terrorist attack on the Touchback, the team vessel of the Krakens, at Jupiter shortly before Galaxy Bowl 28. It is unknown if the alleged detainment of Barnes is related to either of those incidents. Barnes and Montaigne were recently married in a private ceremony on Earth. Barnes, a two-time GFL championship quarterback, was the 2686 league MVP. Montaigne, an all-pro fullback for the Krakens, is also a two-time GFL champion and the MVP of Galaxy Bowl 28. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. 
and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.